Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Stories in the Dark. This is season three of our spooky little podcast, and our theme this season is Monsters and Mayhem. I hope you enjoy our stories, because we certainly enjoy you. For the first episode of season three, we wanted to do something that's, I don't know, a little bit in keeping with coming back from a hiatus. So this week's episode is called, We're Back. Are sleepy little towns ever really safe? Molly thought so. That's why she moved here, after all. After everything that happened in New York, after threatening a million times to leave, she'd finally packed up and moved to Pleasantville. Her grandparents had lived here. They'd left her a house when they passed, a house she hadn't seen since she was short enough to not be able to ride the carnival rides. Sometimes it's our memories that draw us back. And it's our memories that play such wicked tricks. She was still unpacking. The house had been sleeping for years. All shuttered windows and sheets on furniture and dust everywhere. So unpacking was complicated by all the clutter that already lived in the house. She had no place to put anything. When her grandparents passed it on to her, they'd advised her to keep it just in case she ever needed it. Just in case, they said. At the time, happy in New York with John, she couldn't imagine ever needing it. At a certain age, you have no idea what just in case might look like. Until one day, you wake up and realize you hate your life. You hate the random violence outside your own home, and sometimes even in it. And then, the only thing for it is to walk away. She hadn't been able to sell it anyway. So she spent her days cleaning out years of dust and neglect, and decades of clutter, uncovering couches and cabinets and tables, and boxing up knickknacks to take to the consignment shop, donation center, or even the junkyard. She hadn't been able to get into the attic yet to inventory up there, but the rest of the house was keeping her busy enough. At night, she drank wine and tried to figure out ways to stretch her money even further. She wasn't ready to go back to work, and she was willing to eat canned tuna as long as she could. If she was lucky, maybe she'd find something in her grandparents' house that could keep her going a little longer, or at least mean she could afford to buy chicken, maybe even a steak. At least she could get fresh fruits and vegetables cheap from the farmer's market and the local you-pick places. 
The house seemed to resent her being in it. It was different from how she remembered. Instead of bright sunlight in her lemon-yellow bedroom, the windows were dirty and the light was dim. All the colors in the house were faded, muted, and at night the house creaked and groaned as if something inside were disturbing it. Something like her. She'd been here three weeks and she was almost through the first floor. One or both of her grandparents must have been obsessed with those little porcelain dolls with the huge solemn eyes holding Bibles and crosses. They were half cute and half looked like the children of the corn had been turned into figurines. As a child, she had thought they were sweet. Now, they'd taken over the house. Molly needed some tea to get her through all the wrapping and packing up the little dolls. So she headed into the kitchen. She'd left the antique stove, but all of the kitschy crap, farmhouse chickens, rooster-themed pot holders, were long gone. The kitchen looked simple, maybe even a little bare, but she liked it like that. One of the precious little children stared at her from a painting in the hallway on her way to heat up water. It was time to take them all down. Their eyes followed her from room to room, and at night she thought she heard them solemnly praying and hiding upstairs, whispering, their hellish little secrets, talking about her. They were always talking about her. She set a timer while the tea steeped. Three and a half minutes, exactly. Every time. Her foot jiggled while she waited. The timer finally dinged, and she slipped the tea bag into the compost bin. The tea was still too hot to drink, so she carried it carefully back to the living room, moving past the half-filled boxes and tables with wrapped figurines. She thought she heard whispering and a giggle, but when she looked around, all she could see were dolls and paintings and curio cabinets full of other knickknacks. <sighs> At this rate, she'd still be packing all this crap up three months from now. The tea scalded her tongue, but she drank it anyway. She needed the caffeine. She was hearing voices upstairs, and she knew that staying cooped up in here had started to get to her. 
Maybe it was time to take another load of boxes to the consignment shop. She fit as many as she could into her little hatchback. It had been her grandparents' car. It came with the house. It rattled a bit when she pulled out of the driveway, but it would go forever. The neighborhood was full of elderly couples. This time of day, they liked to walk down the street, holding hands, hats and sunglasses protecting their faces. She passed three different couples dressed almost identically. All of them turned to watch her as she drove by. Their eyes were hidden by their giant glasses, but she could feel them glaring at her. The lady at the consignment shop stared at the boxes as she carried them in. You should probably sell all those online as a set, she said. Molly shook her head. I know, you told me that last time, but I just can't. I need them out of the house. I can't stand them staring at me like that. I don't even care that I'll get less money. I just cannot look at them anymore. Marge, her name tag was pinned to her blouse, pinching the fabric in a way that made Molly feel uncomfortable, deep in her stomach. Those holes would be there forever. The wrinkles might never come out. Marge pursed her lips and Molly knew she was going to say no. She just had that look. Instead, she sighed and opened one. They take forever to list, but they go fast, you know. Collectors all over love these things. I just wish they weren't so dang hard to wrap and ship. That was exactly why Molly didn't want to sell them herself. They were a huge pain. Marge wrote out the slip and held it out, but she didn't let go. You got anything better in that house? Molly resisted the urge to pull the slip out of her hand. Not yet. I'm still digging through everything, though. She thought she saw something more than curiosity on Molly's face. Why? Marge finally let go of the slip. No reason. Just, you know, rumors. I heard your grandparents had some real treasures stashed in there somewhere. Did you get into the attic yet? The key hadn't worked. Molly didn't want to tell her that. She just promised to bring by anything she found. She felt Marge's eyes following her out. When she got back to the house, she opened the door and stopped. All the paintings were back on the walls. All of them stared right at her as she walked in. Hundreds of huge eyes and angelic little faces. Hundreds of tiny hands holding fat Bibles and cartoon crosses. All of them glaring at her, judging her, whispering. That night, 
She dreamed her grandmother stood at the foot of the bed, staring at her, just like the children in the paintings. She wore a long white gown, and her hair, silvery white and unbound, hung in ragged waves. Her eyes were black pits, and they wanted to devour her. Molly felt a chill creeping up from her feet, crawling up her legs. She woke and threw back the covers. There, in her bed, were three little porcelain dolls with their precious little faces and their frozen little bodies. After that, she stopped sleeping at night. She drank tea and coffee to try and keep herself awake. She took load after load of dolls and paintings to Marge, but when she got home, it was like she'd done nothing. The house was still full of them. Them and the whispers that followed her from room to room. She couldn't get away from them. There was no television in the house. At night, she watched videos on her old laptop to keep herself awake. But she found herself nodding off around 3 a.m., dreams pregnant with images from the old movies she liked to watch, smoking men, glamorous women, she felt like she was reaching her breaking point. The house was full of dolls, so many of them, so many more than even when she'd first started. Marge called one morning to tell her she had some money waiting for her, and Molly started crying on the phone. Tell me I brought them in. Tell me you have them. Tell me. Brought what in? Marge sounded confused. The little children! You sold them for me. You still have them, right? You didn't let them come back in the house? Marge took a deep breath on the other end of the line. I'm worried about you, Molly, in that house all by yourself. But do you have them? Molly screamed at her. She'd never screamed at anyone before in her life. Even her ex. Even when he did those terrible things. I sold them, Molly. I sold most of them. I told you, there are so many collectors, even in this town, who would do anything to get their hands on them. They keep asking for more. Do you have more? Molly stared into the living room. It was like looking into the abyss. Thousands of huge little eyes stared back. They whispered to her, even though she was on the phone. Come pray with us, Molly. Come pray like you did when you were little. There are so many. She whispered to Marge. There are just so many.
you come get them, please? Her voice shook. Marge was very, very worried about Molly. Molly, did you ever get into the attic? Like I told you, did you get in there? Hot tears spilled down Molly's face. Hotter than tea. They scalded her skin and sizzled on her arms where they fell, leaving little silver scars. I can't, I can't get in there. There's no key. Go in the attic, Molly. This won't stop until you do. The phone clicked. Marge had hung up. Molly held the phone in her shaking hand until the angry dial tone hurt her ear, and then she hung up too. She fell asleep on the table. The phone rang again at 3 a.m. Come pray with us, Molly, they whispered. Come pray in the attic. Eyes glazed, empty cup in her hand, Molly stood and climbed the steps. The second floor was still covered in drop cloths. Under the light of the silver moon, covered in darkness and dust, it looked like misshapen ghosts filled the upper rooms of the house. She heard a whisper and a scuttling, tiny voices giggling. A crucifix jabbed her in the ankle, but she kept going. The attic door stood as firm as time, as solid as a nightmare. She had no key. Open, she whispered, and it didn't. It didn't. She turned the knob. She turned it again. Third time's the charm, she whispered to herself, and then giggled madly. She twisted the knob sharply, and this time, the third time, it turned all the way, and the door swung open. The cold air hit her like a wall. The smell followed it out. The attic smelled like earth and meat and was as cold as a winter night. She heard a humming as she stepped inside. The heavy door swung closed, quietly behind her. The walls were covered in newspaper. A strange fog blanketed the floor. The entire attic was somehow refrigerated. She'd worked in a deli once, and the meat locker felt like this. Exactly like this. It smelled like it, too. Molly's skin prickled and tried to crawl away, but her feet were too stupid to move. She tried to find a light switch. The light was dim and too weak to pierce the foggy air of the room. 
Her hands fumbled for the walls, and her fingers found a switch, and she flipped it so hard one of the nails on her left hand broke. When the light came on, she was looking right at the newspaper. Reports of missing children, first one, then dozens, and then, over the years, all the children of the town had disappeared. Molly's eyes traced the walls, reading about the grief and loss of the parents, and then finally, resignation, until at last, the town stopped having children at all. All the parents were old now. They walked the streets, looking for their lost children, hating her for getting away. Molly remembered those children. She recognized some of them. She remembered playing with them. She remembered them coming over for Bible study with her grandmother, eating cookies her grandfather had baked. She remembered them coming up to the attic while she stayed downstairs and read until her mom came to pick her up. She didn't remember seeing any of them again. She felt sick from lack of sleep. It felt like she couldn't think. There was another switch next to the light switch. A knob, like one of those timers that turns on a lamp or a fan. She twisted it. And sure enough, a fan came on somewhere and started to clear out the fog that lay in the room. Molly hadn't yet walked into the attic itself. She'd stayed by the walls, reading the newspaper clippings. So when the air cleared, she wasn't prepared for what she saw. There were shelves and tables full of little white-wrapped packages, just like you get at the butcher shop. Rows and rows of them. And over there, piles of children's clothes and Bibles and crosses nailed into the floor. So many crosses. They started off nice, like you'd buy at a store. The last few rows were rough, like wood carved with a shaky hand, an old hand. They were everywhere. And there, in the corner, a little round table with two wooden chairs, like you might have on your porch. A little table where you might like to drink a little tea with your husband. Tea perfectly steeped for exactly 3.5 minutes. Except, instead of a tea service waiting for a couple, there was a couple waiting for their tea. Their heads turned slowly, so slowly in the cold of the attic. And when their eyes opened, they burned with a hunger that she found both repulsive 
and familiar. Hello, Molly, her grandmother said, skin blue from the cold. Her teeth were so very sharp. Molly felt a scream building in her throat. Her grandfather tried to stand. He had to hold himself up on the table. His nails were too long, ragged and cracked and yellow. You're dead. You're supposed to be dead. You left me the house, Molly said, trying not to cry, trying not to throw up. It had been so long since she slept. Her grandmother reached up and started braiding her long, silvery white hair. It hung around her shoulders in waves. We were just taking a little rest, her grandfather assured her, holding out his arms for a hug. But we're back now, little Molly. No need to worry. But what happened to all the children, she asked teeth chattering in the cold. And why are there so many of them? Her grandfather folded her in his arms. He smelled like a steak that had gone bad, all musty and rancid, and a bit like freezer burn. They're safe now, Molly. Your grandmother prays with them. We keep a little piece of them here in our hearts. He held her tight. His heart didn't feel right. It wasn't beating like a normal heart. Every three breaths, it gave a slow, languid thump. She didn't like this. She didn't like this at all. But she was so tired, and he was her grandfather. She leaned into his hug, and felt her grandmother come and wrap her arms around both of them. We're all together now, my dear, her grandmother said. Let's pray, Molly. Do you remember how to pray? Come pray with us, Molly, the tiny voices whispered. You'll like it here. You'll be safe, too. Molly was crying as she felt the teeth slip into her neck, the ragged nails ripping into her soft flesh. Her blood ran sluggish and warm in the cold of the attic. You should pray now, Molly, her grandmother told her. You should pray now that we're back. Her grandfather said nothing more at all. Soon enough, the whispering stopped, and the laughter, and even the tears. Some things are too old and too cold for tears. <laughs>